Welcome to Weeaboo Hell! It's Weeaboo Hell. I'm host one, Denard Dale, known on random corners of the internet as Blind Monkey. I'm host two, Sam Legault, known on the same corners of the internet as Mute Monkey. So, how are you feeling today? Good. I have a question. What are your least favorite dumbass anime tropes? My least favorite dumbass anime tropes. I'd have to say you have your half-baked rivals, your mortal preteens, and your brain-dead protagonists. Cool, cool. I'd call those my anti-power trio. Alright, yeah. Um, I'm no big fan of gratuitous fan service. I don't love, you know, directionless gay baiting. And I don't really like the isekai genre that much either. The show that we are going to be talking about today has all but the last of these. Because today, we're getting the fucking Dowari no Seraph. Oh, I thought we were friends. That's cool. We can watch Awari no Seraph. I'll enjoy that and probably not put a nail through my left thumb. It'll be great. I mean, my right thumb and all my other fingers are toast. No, no, you got but my left, too. my left will be fine. It'll be perfectly intact after this experience. Like, you're right. You'll, you'll be fine. It'll be fine, and you know, instead of typing, I'll just use like text to chat or something, or is it chat to text? Yeah, whatever text. the whatever the dictation just, software. Just hold your phone in your other hand; it's fine. But you're really setting the like ability tone of the rest of my life of Owari no Seraph. I want to, I want that to be known. Like, I'm sorry, Seraph of the end, whatever Seraph you call of the it. End. I, like, Wherever you are on the weeaboo scale, it doesn't matter. You're not gonna really enjoy it either way, <laughs> or you will, and then I sort of have not a personal. It does have a for fan you. base that is. Something that I was very surprised to learn is that it does have something of a dedicated fan base who have told me up and down that this show does improve. This could very well be, but it still starts right here with the first episode and this first season of television. And I gotta tell you, Denard, I don't know where you go from here. The mythic good parts after the first like 10 hours of final fantasy 13 is that what we have here potentially i mean the first 22 minutes they promise a whole lot and then deliver none of it but let's uh let's break it down here orino seraph has one of the most laughably silly first 90 seconds of like any anime i think i've ever seen it's pretty solidly burned into my memory and when you when someone says something like that on a sort of jokey media show, they're normally talking about trauma, or it was so terrible, or even a transcendently great moment. None of those are why I will always remember the first 90 seconds of this. It's because of an airplane. <laughs> Specifically an airplane you follow on an emotional journey that sort of starts in the sky, and then, you know, sometimes life is tough and you're brought down to Earth, and you're down there in Shibuya crossing, and that airplane just soars across, pancaking everyone on screen. Well, no, 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 it doesn't, is the thing. What it does is it flies behind a building, and by the time they make sure it flies behind the building, is completely off screen at that point, and then there's an explosion. They didn't have to animate the actual crash, they just animated the explosion, and then everyone dies. You're right. What I did was a bit of a airplane appropriation. Like I, <laughs> I really stole you. from their culture there. I gave the airplane's achievements to an upper class truck, which had the <laughs> honor of pancaking these civilians. Oh man, it created like fifteen Isekai protagonists just now. They must be in perhaps technically a better anime. Every 
truck-based isekai murder in the past two seasons. All of them are Awari no Seraph. All of them are from Awari no Seraph. It's that same truck just making its way across Japan. Even that one comic that's about Vladimir Putin, same truck. Same truck. It is majestic. Something I think I left out in my recount of this is... Right before this truck careening into people, they clutch their hearts like they're having heart attacks. I mean, it's supposed to be a virus killing them, but they clutch their hearts like they're having heart attacks. I guess that's the semiotic cue they're going for. And it's really all these things happening at once that makes this as silly as it is. Oh, no, it's a total clusterfuck. And then I feel like I'm jumping ahead to the end of the book here, but it's the last couple seconds of this opening scene that are the best which is after all this has transpired it's a thing of beauty as if they'd been lying in wait for this very second like they had it (laughs) time to the they had it time to the nanosecond (laughs) out comes the lowly vampire princess and her army of darkness to what end i don't know in fact they seem to be marching towards a whole bunch of burning shit. I don't know what they're trying to do to it. Their military, which I guess in vampire world is the entire population. Fair enough. Maybe it's a sort of like South Korea or Israel situation where everyone's trained up for fighting. I don't know. There aren't that many vampires in theory. So these guys march out. And I guess it's the seriousness that they treat the situation as they emerge. <laughs> no, I just from love the that f- they were ready to go like this. Like... They've been waiting for this for a while now. And I, I have to imagine... Oh, God, what's the character's name? Cruel Tepish, because anime or mangakas are completely incapable of naming a lowly, a lowly vampire anything other than something Tepish. It's that thing where you fall off of the subtlety tree and hit every branch on the way down. down. Yeah. Uh, I, I just sort of have to imagine her kind of just looking at a stopwatch on her phone, just wait for it. Wait for it. Okay, that was the plane just now. Right on schedule. Give it another... Okay, the city's on fire. Let's head out. And then they march out. The prep has to be a clusterfuck. Like, they're vampires. They they aren't really dealing with a typical sleep cycle as long as they're out of the sunlight, right? So I imagine it's just choreography, choreography, choreography. They've been practicing for a while. The entire African continent of vampire just on costume duty, just getting these like pseudo royal robes together. <laughs> Sometimes, like I watch a lot of pro wrestling, and you sort of have to imagine, you know, the really big events, how many hours of rehearsal had to go into that. And you know, I'm mm. just thinking about the same thing right now. I think that the um, the pro wrestling vampire stable, the Brood, was a little more well conceived than where most of Awari no Seraph ends up. Yeah, Which is I, to say, they had no idea where the brood was going. But there was a sort of spirit of fun throughout the whole you know, thing. It was like, it was Edge and Christian and some dude named Gangrel. Like, really, you sort of just, you improvise from there. Here's another thing. I think we skipped this because I was too excited to get to that stupid fucking shot of Cruel Tempest marching out with a goddamn... Nothing is better with, for me with than With the backup singers from, soaring across. from the Vampira music video. <laughs> Um, which is the fact that it seems that this virus that wipes out everyone over the age of 13, and we'll get to why I hate that in a second, it hits everyone at exactly the same time. 
the the woman you know in Shibuya Crossing, the dude driving the isekai truck, the uh, the pilot and co-pilot of the airplane, right? That virus just all at once. And I read and watch a lot of shit and good things across a whole spectrum of speculative fiction, right? And somehow, out of all the elements of this show that pop up, that's the one thing that really, like, drags my suspension of disbelief. There are other things I think are stupid or hackneyed or cliched, but just the, all of these viruses activating at the same time is what just sort of flicked my brain and said, hey, hey, you're watching a fake thing. Hey, hey, this isn't happening. This hey. isn't real. <laughs> things don't go down like this. And they never really seek to um, dispel the idea that this didn't all happen at the exact same time. We... The world, you know, as it ends, I think we only get to see it for about a minute, a minute and a half, maybe two minutes before the first of two time skips in this one episode, which like, got to be a new fucking record. Like, I, I do know that anime likes their time skips, and, like, done well, they're one of my favorite little tropes in anime. I, um... I like to point to, uh, I like to, point to Gundam Double O as a time when that was done well. A certain manga that I enjoy a whole lot that clearly the mangaka of Awari no Seraph also enjoys too. Um, oh yeah, he must have one... Oh, you mean Attack on Titan. I mean which Attack they, on Titan. They didn't really change the plates as much as they just sort of switched the plates. With the virus, before we move on to just everything that is taken out of the fucking radio slot of Attack on Titan's car... This virus comes with a little um, verbal note for all the children that survive it. Due to this foolish is... humans. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I needed to be the one to say it. It's too perfect. But this... there's canned orders on some unseen loudspeaker in the opening scene where I think Cruel Tempest or so I don't know. Someone, some lady is saying, due to foolish humans, the human race will now go extinct. The specific wording is, this is a warning. <laughs> Due to foolish humans, a deadly virus has spread. I don't know how into, like, the history of dictatorships you are, but totalitarian regimes, it's usually not subtle, right? Like, you know you're being bullshitted. But even at, like, the peak of fucking Soviet Russia or Nazi Germany, there's a little more grace to the propaganda than this is a warning. Everyone around you is having heart attacks because you're dumb. You love vampires. Join the vampire army today. Rosie the Riveter says you can do it. You are now riveted. <laughs> they try harder. There's more to it. Himmler got paid the big bucks for a reason. I'm still getting into the check boxes for Attack on Titan. Because really, this is a very, very, very derivative show. Um, derivative of many things. And as you get further into the series, uh, the list just keeps on mounting. First and foremost is an Attack on Titan clone. Pretty Be shamelessly. Beyond everything. I think the thing that sticks out to me the most is just the aping of the main character characterization. Oh, like, I've been calling you Yaren Ager. I don't know what his actual name is. I think it might be you or me or him or something like that. Whatever, Chumbus. So Chumbus has Chum a lot of anger. And Aaron, early Aaron is not even in the genre of a subtle character, but you will sort of miss that dexterity. As the first thing I think you see this kid try to do is like basically try to 
fist fight a vampire. And they have the sort of generic set of superpowers on the show. They're missing a few. Who cares? But this 11-year-old trying to fight this vampire. And this vampire dictatorship, by the way, that grows to expand across the whole planet. We just skip right to it. He's 11, so his arms are literally too short to box with God. <laughs> it scans less in the moment, like, that sort of heroic pluck that you want to have in your protagonist. And a lot more like he took some severe head trauma that morning. Mm -hmm. I mean, the brain-dead hero is just one of those things I'll just sort of flick my engagement switch down to zero. Or negative one. It's the opposite of an amp that goes to 11. Hype that goes to negative one. No, no I understand. I want to actually skip ahead again to the very end of the episode where it's almost just insultingly unoriginal where we get, you know, Chumbus's motivation, which is he says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but not much. I want to exterminate the vampires. <laughs> and they really, he understood you know, sort of how the first episode or two of Attack on Titan progressed, right? I don't think he understood or even tried to replicate the pathos behind any of that. Every little beat is completely unearned in this. I'd say they tried. Their shoelaces were tied together, but they tried. They tried. I think to me it feels a bit like a writing exercise where you sort of take the brief outline of the first bit of attack on titan mm -hmm. and then just ask an mfa student to fill it in and nothing quite clicks they try to sort of match well not try to one thing they actually do achieve just because it's a raw number thing is they sort of match that early body count of the innocent thing that's going on in attack on titan when these kids spoiler if you're a up incoming seraph of the end fan all of his kitty friends have a total party wife in this. And it's not it supposed actually to be pretty funny. Rad. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny. It's only pretty grim, but... I don't know. Do you remember in Star Wars Episode 3 when Anakin walks into like the room full of the fucking Jedi preschoolers? And they walk up like, What should we do, Master Anakin? And then the lightsaber comes out. It's the funniest shit. It's like peak slapstick. I think I laughed as hard at Looney Tunes in my childhood four times as hard as I laughed at the at the scene where they just was... <laughs> this guy was racking them up. Have you played Dynasty Warriors? It was like oh, Dynasty yeah, no, Warriors. It... He just... I don't know, he's like super got Meet the cop that just can't stop. And they're all like, I don't know, black teenagers, I guess. And he's just stacking them up. I'm trying to view this scene the way that I was intended to view it. The way that the creative team wanted me to view it right i'm trying to figure out where i'm supposed to be horrified by this like what exact shot or a series of shots or whatever are supposed to evoke pathos for me and i think it comes like around halfway through the scene where you've got i don't know his name um i watched through the entire first season of this show i still don't remember his name i just the retention is not there. He's, he's the pedo-coated vampire. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the long-haired pedo-coated vampire. Yeah, he's, he like coaches a volleyball team. <laughs> he has a ranch. Yeah. He makes music. And there, there's a moment where there's this um. There's this little girl who was shown to be friendly towards Chumbus earlier on in the episode, and I think she cooked dinner or something, and that was uh, 
we, we we are meant to be endeared to her. Honestly, her character design is such that I would not remember her if I was not staring directly at her. On it the would screen. not have taken me out of it if she just blinked twice directly at the camera and said, "Please sympathize with me." And then her eyes just glazed over for the rest of it until they just pulled that switch that dumped her into the river. I'm just, it's, it's just nuts how generic her character design is. Like, I could be looking at the show, hearing them say her name. I don't remember her name, by the way. Chumbina. Getting up. Chumbina, sure. Getting up to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water or something. Coming back, and she's still on the screen. And I could just point, who's this? I'm kind of impressed in terms of pathos. I think that's a good thing to like look at in this earlier thing because it's a big part of what this goes for, what made sort of early AOT work. This show wipes an entire orphanage of kids and cannot match that one shot of just Aaron's mom becoming lunch. And I think that sort of says something about A, the general importance of craft, and B, I think that in an imitation, no matter what, you're going to get some kind of diminishing returns. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, like, I don't hate kids. I don't hate kids, but I, as I just sort of watch how cynically it just throws them into this, like, fucking wood chipper, <laughs> I can't help but laugh at how quickly, like, the pedal-coated vampire... By the way, they totally make it weird. Like, you're wondering, like... Oh, no, it's is like, it... it's super weird. I'm not even being prestigious here. There's this whole series of interactions that he has with, um... Uh, I think the character's name is Michaela. He's the blonde, not not rival, most... He's the gay bait character. Yeah, he's, Dark he's Chumbus. Dark Chumbus, sure. Um, th- there's this series of interactions that he has with Dark Chumbus where he lustfully talks about the quality of this kid's blood while looking at him a little bit too intensely. And, and like, it's meant to feel like that. You're not crazy... For thinking it if you watch this no no he's meant to feel like a pedophile that was a very intentional and if they if they if they try and play coy here i'm gonna feel insulted it's less subtext or text and uh more like the word art tab in powerpoint (laughs) like the blue one like just make some real big bubble letters for the audience specifically the blue one that like kind of forms a wavy shape that one yeah like if you ever like your windows 98 when it comes to this party wipe, this is going to be my one little cinema sins kind of nitpicky thing here. Sure. To maybe just a little bit get petty. So, Count Pederis, the know, Count Jackson, he's got this, he's got this pistol. It's this, I don't know if it's a revolver or a semi or, actually it looks like an old single shot pistol, but it fires like a semi. There are questions, whatever. It fires twice and we do not see him reloaded and it's definitely not a revolver. It's certainly not an automatic pistol. But that's not what's important about this. So the vampires in this have super speed, right? Mm-hmm. So he darts around like um, I don't know, reverse flash, whatever the fuck. So he has this gun. And vampires in this show can kill humans effortlessly. Like it's, the way you and I sneeze, it's right? It's pretty comical, in fact. It's like chopping vegetables. I think sometimes they have to do it like accidentally. Just on going about their day. They're trying to walk down the street. They step on someone's Nikes and his feet just explode. So, the gun is not for people. and But they have super speed as he dodges bullets like nothing. So the gun is not for vampires. And it looks well-maintained and ornate. So it kind of been manufactured in the last 200 plus fucking years. 
What is this gun? Where? What is that? <laughs> it does seem like it could very well be a museum piece. I don't know. That maybe they. Oh, maybe, true, true. maybe maybe that's like his hobby when he's not like setting off amber alerts in vampire world, just collecting old firearms and doing some amateur rifling with them. <laughs> there are certainly worse ways to spend your afterlife. Yeah, he seems to have found the uh, tastiest ways, certainly. Man. That uh as the as they say is a big yikes for me, fam. I think the pacing in this thing is notable on a few levels. Oh no, absolutely. Can I um can I interject? There's with a scene that just fundamentally does not work, there's this little sequence, right, where they decide that they are going to escape vampire captivity. Because oh, I might have actually skipped here. What happens after the vaguely specified plague that wipes out everyone over the age of thirteen among all humans? Uh, is that all the children are rounded up by these vampires and placed in vampire concentration camps in their sprawling necropolis, right? Um, I'd call them concentration daycare centers. Concentration daycare centers. It's, it's, it, it honestly, to me, the way that they portrayed it, it just seemed to be one of the most thrown-together haphazard genocides ever. And yet it still seemed to be working. I don't know. This show makes me feel like they think I'm stupid. It's odd. In the history of genocides, it's like they have German infrastructure, but a Janjaweed application. They might as well be running around with machetes as far as this human purge goes. <laughs> I guess they're, they're just lucky that these kids are, you know, kids, because it probably wouldn't work otherwise. But uh, here's the thing. Um, there's a scene, I want to say around halfway through the episode, where they decide that they're going to escape because uh, Dark Chumbus stole a map from Count Jackson. They go on this little three-minute-long odyssey through the Necropolis or whatever, uh, you know, kind of uh, dodging around, hiding at one point, you know, just because the tension was a little bit low. Some vampire, you know, patrolling the sewers thinks that he might have heard them, but then decides, no, it was just rats. Or yeah, he hasn't something. learned a lot in the last 500 years of existence. Then they get to, you know, the exit, and out steps Count Jackson himself, right? And in that moment, the proverbial bomb under the table explodes without us having seen it ticking at all. And it really spoils that entire scene. It renders a lot of content pointless very quickly. I, I kind of admire it being taken as this earth-shattering twist that a planet-wide supernatural dictatorship outwitted seven eight-year-olds. <laughs> In this fairness, is not history's greatest challenge. In fairness, I don't know that it's planet-wide. Near as I can tell, this vampire kingdom exists only underneath Japan. But powerful enough that, oh shit, they were just too smart for these 11-year-olds. I guess at some point in the last 1,000 years of unlife, they piece, they pick together the intellectual tools to compete with your average elementary school schoolyard. They could probably profile... You know, a group of a hundred or so, you know, sixth graders and figure, 
That one. That's the anime protagonist right now. Watch him. He's gonna try to escape. Ask them to play speed chess against any Jonas Brothers concert and they have it on lock. Mm hmm When it comes to the pacing of this episode... Go ahead. We start with the entire fall of human civilization. Yeah. Which I think, personally, I'm biased. You could get an episode or two out of. I think there might be some interesting moments in the vampire takeover of the world. Oh no, absolutely. But whatever, the story's on rails. We're interested in our protagonist's generic anger. Not necessarily the role that took him to feeling that way, so he might relate to it in some way, shape, or form. But just that it's there and its consequences. So then we come to the air quotes present in his vampire dictatorship. Though, I guess spoil future episodes. This isn't really the part of the story they're even interested in yet. Which is why we're all rocketing through this shit, but... The plot comes to a grinding halt in Vampire Orphanage Land. Which is funny because it's also like the least developed part of the thing. Like, they know what our world looks like. They even know what like edgy teenager bleach army later looks like. They do not know what the inner inside of this vampire dictatorship looks like. And you can feel them like reaching for like, straws to pull together yeah, into a shape. I don't know. They're there. They have a hierarchy. They understand it. You don't need to. And I get it. Sometimes parts of your show are thinly sketched, but why spend time in the thinly sketched part of your show? I don't know, but it's what the episode does. You'd, want, you'd think that they'd want to get a, obfuscate this. And then and, we get to that total party wipe I keep on focusing on because it's the best thing I've seen in a while. I have a point about that, but continue. And I think the pacing is wrong for a good thing in that scene. But for my endorphins and general laughter as a human, it was the perfect amount of time. And no, yeah, we, we, we got to know these kids for just long enough. Then there's the bit But after not so that. long that it yeah. actually was affecting. Just long <laughs> enough that it was funny. For the showtime at the Apollo version of this show, it's the perfect <laughs> amount of time. There, there's a point I'd like to raise about the, uh, the slaughter of the children. <laughs> Which is... Um, <laughs> which is why exactly it is so unaffecting and is in fact so hilarious in the space of one episode they were never going to get us to care about all of these kids right it's true that was just an impossibility however the battle was lost however there's a reason that and i hate to keep bringing it back to attack on titan but the show keeps doing it so you know i'm just playing by its rules here mm. There is a reason that when Carly Yeager gets eaten, it is so affecting, right? It's because it might not necessarily matter to you. She's only been in this episode, you know, maybe six or seven minutes, and that's kind of a highball estimate. Yep. It matters to Aaron, and they have succeeded in getting you to care about him and what he wants. Chumbus, you, whatever you want to call him, is such a goddamn cookie-cutter character that you don't care about him or the things that he finds important. And even going beyond that, when he's interacting with all these kids who get so unceremoniously slashed to bits, he doesn't actually seem to like them very much. He doesn't you seem know? to want to be around them. He seems at best indifferent. If not, I would go so far as to say annoyed by them. It is only once they're dead that he, in tears, admits that they were his family. He was an orphan, by the way. They, they were all kids at an orphanage together. So 
for some reason the unit was kept cohesive when the uh when the vampires took over whatever who cares it's impressive it's both unearned and on the nose not necessarily flavors that always go together it's uniquely terrible in that it draws attention to why it does not work I wouldn't consider myself that smart of a dude, but it did not take me very long to figure out why I was laughing instead of crying at this scene. Which is why I would uh, like to lead this segment to something that's very important to me. Oh, sure. Off the top of my head, I am now going to list similes for Michael Jackson vampire killing these kids. It is like Brock Lesnar versus a room full of Shih Tzu dogs. (laughs) It is like Muhammad Ali going through the waiting area of a retirement home. <laughs> it's like Anakin Skywalker in a room full of younglings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna oh man, that that is fucking Oh my god. It is like Lubu. In a nursery. It is like a Dynasty Warriors character. In, in Dynasty any, Warriors, In yeah. Dynasty Warriors. In any non-boss fight scenario in Dynasty Warriors. I actually sort of started, like, whistling the theme music to myself. I know that makes me, uh, like, sick on multiple levels. But... No, no, I don't think so. I think it just means that this scene does not work on such a level that it could not help but invite comparisons to Koei Tecmo's beloved franchise. <laughs> There's one final point that I'd like to bring up about this episode, which is the issue of uh, queer baiting, which we don't so much get it that much in the first episode, but oh man, does it become such an integral part of this series. I guess it just shows the way that like studios are sort of think of like demographics as markets first and people like for Oh, absolutely. Like, it's... it's a thing where... The show will never commit to any kind of actual gay romance. No, I mean, and that, and that is what queer baiting is. Queer baiting is casting a net and hoping that you know, with this, uh, with this net, you catch you know one or two more viewers who are in this for the idea of shipping these two characters together, right? Who might not have otherwise watched the show because, honest to God, why would have they? And it is just. So goddamn cynical and such a goddamn turnoff to watch when you look at this. And you and it's really, really clear. It's basically fan service's version of tokenism, I would call it. And it is very clear that they are absolutely going to bring this nowhere. It's there so that there can be fan artists. Hopefully that that capture implies. that hopefully capture that out no Naruto Sasuke money, I guess. No no absolutely I mean the Yes, no, this show wants what other shows have. It is very covetous, I would say. If I had to place this anywhere in uh, in the uh, in the various circles of hell, wherever gluttony is, because this show wants to be literally every show, it kind of wants what Code Geass had, ultimately. Code Geass... Code Geass was a, kind of a beautiful miracle in that it was made of parts that shouldn't have worked, Either on their own or in amalgam, and it came out the other end as something... Like something good, in fact. Like, possibly one of the most important anime of the decade it came out in. And I think the um the thing to remember about Code Geass is that Code Geass was somehow every anime at once. 
And that seems to be what Orari no Seraph is trying to do. It's trying to be every anime at once. Um, but it just does not seem to understand why any of this works. Why it worked for Code Geass. Why, you know, the anger at the heart of Attack on Titan actually felt real instead of manufactured. Yeah, it's a lot of sort of aliens trying to recreate human emotions going on. Yeah. And it's a strange experience. For the record, Gluttony, third circle of Helen Dante's thing. Okay, so it fared better than the first episode of uh, of Handshakers, even though I actually think I dislike this more. Like, I think Handshakers is technically worse, but... No, Sometimes the just... show feels more personally bad. It offends your personal sensibilities. It does. It really does. And one point before we uh, before we close out on this particular episode... It, it doesn't bear a whole lot of discussion. The character designs on this series are so goddamn generic. They feel like they're right out of a harem anime from 2005 produced by Studio Gonzo. I'm going to co-sign this. I'd say everyone looks drabber than drywall. And, I don't know, I'm not artistically in, inclined beyond beyond writing. Not just, so I, I'm not exactly a master of visual art. I think and most, I feel like they weren't either. I think the most unique looking character in this anime might have cut it as, you know, a villain or character of the week on a big three show. You know, like a, a filler episode from Bleach or Naruto or something like that. I'm going to give this one a fourth circle rating for Avarice. I can... Feel this show looking at a pile of money that it covets. And it, I don't know, you don't want that feeling of being directly marketed to. Or maybe you do when it's pleasant and they like hit the nail on the head. But when it falls short, it falls very short. Random literature note. Evidently, Avarice shared a layer of prodigality. So either wanting money or spending it frivolously got you into the same layer of hell. I remember when I was reading The Inferno, half of the people they ran into were named Guido, which I guess in, you know, 15th century, uh, what was it, Florence, Florence, that was actually just kind of an honorific, but I was just weirded out because I, I think I was reading this around the time that the Jersey Shore was, uh, was on TV and everyone being named Guido was just, I don't know, I snickered a whole lot at that book when I was reading. That is a lot of free laughs. Man, that show happened. Another show that happened to us this week was episode two of Handshakers. How did you enjoy that one? You He's know, not I, smiling right now. He's you not know, smiling. You know, I didn't. I think, you know, between this and Awari no Seraph, Awari no Seraph is, it's almost like a fucking feast, right? You can, <laughs> you can just go to town on all the ways that that series has failed. But Handshakers is just, I don't like looking at it. I want to kind of turn away. I, when I'm watching Handshakers, the, the main thing that I'm thinking is that I really would rather be watching something else. This episode is great. And by great, I mean there is a vast field of nothing. It's like a desert. So we open back in the fight we ended the last episode with. It's Chains versus Gears. Were you impressed by the four seconds it took Chains to job? In a sense. 
I wasn't impressed by the actual fight in general. I was impressed by how they seem to have just completely wasted that character design, that pair of character designs, because, oh man, they they were definitely designed. What I really enjoyed about that sequence, or what made me feel really happy, wasn't necessarily the catharsis of like seeing a bad guy defeated or a hero's triumph, but the chains in this show are really hard to look at. And seeing that guy eat shit meant I wouldn't see chains for a while, and that really gave no, me a No, no, I mean, that would, that would... Yes. I think most of the things in the show that move are very hard to look at. Yeah, man, but those chains, they were like the wrong shade, and every time they were on camera, it meant that bondage girl was making all the wrong sounds. Oh, man. And, like, here we go again. Sort of it's very tiptoeing, tiptoeing around the show's gender politics, and I again, I don't know what I could say that would be new or nuanced or could offer a new take on, you know, problematic themes. Yada yada yada. I, I got nothing, guys. I'm sorry. Okay. It's just, okay, it's just fuck, bad. The gender actually, politics are bad. It's horrendous. Fuck problematic. I have no real ethical core, right? Titillation is like everything else. If you dump two quarts of salt on any dish it's just going to taste like shitty salt and that's how i feel like the sex on the show is like you pile it on so deep and artlessly that i feel nothing that's a point although you can pile fan service on deep and artfully and end up with prison school we are never gonna get through an episode of handshakers without you wishing we were watching prison school instead huh it's just the funniest anime like i to this day, I've never laughed as hard as I have at prison school. But yes, no, perhaps perhaps I need larger reference pools. I do have larger reference pools. I just love bringing up that show because I feel like it didn't get a fair shake. Second episode in a row, we recommend the anime Prison School. Yeah. Um, so while we're on the topic of fan service, mm-hmm. I would like to voice my... <sighs> what I call it, a moral objection to it. Because, as you said, you know, when you layer it on thick enough, it's just ineffective. As anyone could say, it's really kind of shitty how they kind of turned women into objects for titillation, right? But as I said earlier, there's not a whole lot that I could add to that. What I'd like to say is that there is something to me that is really insulting about a bad show with gratuitous amounts of fan service. And Handshakers does not even have that gratuitous amounts of fan service. Like, I've seen worse, I would right? call it very spiky. It's, it's, it's there, though. It's really there. And there's something kind of insulting about it in that they couldn't actually make the show good, right? They couldn't engage me on the level that fiction should engage me that it's meant to engage me so instead of tempting you know mine or any other viewers mine they're trying to sell this show to my dick and it, <laughs> and it is insulting in that they think that i am just some drooling moron who will consume their product because my pp told me to this is not just handshakers that i am talking about right now this is any show that really thinks that wiggling anime titties at me is going to offer me a level of engagement 
approaching equal to, I don't know, having a good story with good characters and it's decently well animated. I see where the dude's coming from. Also, you can't compete with the infinite complex of porn. You're more into opening sequences than I am. Any thoughts on this little musical number? This is going to become a catchphrase, but it was all very mid-2000s anime for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's... The, the, the OP of this anime was... Oh, man, it was nothing to write home about. I wouldn't call it exceptionally terrible, but it did seem... All right, here's the thing. When Mobile Suit Gundam aired on Toonami, instead of the original fun little opening, you know, with, you know, Tobey Gundam, you know, that song and the opening that accompanied it, instead of airing that with the show, um, I don't think they thought that that was cool enough. So Toonami, like, kind of spliced together a few, uh, some background music from the show, a few quotes from the show, you know, a few bits of footage of the uh, the yeah, Gundam in action. Yeah, you remember that. And it was very generic and disappointing and not just really not a great way to uh, to intro the series every Friday. I see what you mean. Like, you are really overstimulated during this opening, at, yet nothing really lands. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's uh, I'm tempted to it, abuse the tale written by an idiot. Quote, but no, no, it's it, it provokes absolutely nothing because it's then it has the uh, credits dead center, nothing creative is done with them, and they're all in this font that I am absolutely positive was a font that they found somewhere. And, like, <laughs> they did not hire a graphic artist to come up with this font. So you're saying you imagine just an intern scrolling through GIMP. So like I saw this... something that seemed vaguely, ooh, that's that's kind of cyberpunk right there, that font. Even though this show does not, I wouldn't call it cyberpunk, but th- that seems to be the aesthetic that they're trying to go with in this OP, oddly enough. Sometimes one hand does not talk to the other. Like they were trying to invite it at the very least. So after the music, we're back to Professor Oak, and I think we miss a transition from the fight back to the labs, but... You're back at Professor Oak. And he tells Tazana to get his little sister slash stand to the bathroom. Do you still believe in art? Less and less these days, but yeah, I'd say some of it's still there. I really felt that joke. And <laughs> if I, a joke I'm gonna level is so you. broken that... I sort of circle around and fucking laugh. I think they still win. Like, That's I think the thing. I have I, a point. I'm going to level with you. That joke did make me laugh. Although I do not know. The joke in question was while this professor guy, I think is professor, I don't know, professor stroke, let's call it. <laughs> he does always seem like he's having one. While he is giving some exposition laden spiel, uh, the, she has a name. But she is treated as pretty much a briefcase, so I'm going to call her... No, that, call that's her, mean. I don't I call know. her uh, Emoto Platinum. Emoto Platinum, there we go. As he is giving this spiel, Emoto Platinum seems to be in some increasing amount of pain. And then Professor Stroke tells... What's his name? Tazuna. Tazuna. Tazuna to take her to the bathroom before she wets herself. And I have to, I have to admit, I laughed at this. I don't 
know if I laughed at this because the joke was funny or because I just felt so defeated. You see these documentaries like people who lose everything in like a hurricane or volcano or some shit. And when there's nothing left, sometimes you just have to like laugh at like cosmic comedy. And I think it's that moment. I think you're onto something. This series had the gall to be so, so terrible and then make this piss joke at me. I think that there was something funny about it as a whole. I think there's a version of the sublime at work there, personally. No, I think I think there's something to be said for that, yeah. So there's some exposition. A lot of exposition. I didn't retain most of it. I remember looking at the uh looking at the timestamp and we were somewhere around 10, 11 minutes into the episode by the time they were done. The majority of the first half of this episode is just this one scene where Professor Guy goes on and on and on and on about the main premise of this series. I watched this maybe an hour ago. I have retained so little of it. I will give them this compared to last time. By now, you sort of piece together for yourself what all this, like, ziggurat, nimrod, etc. shit means. Only now that he pieces it together, he decides to explain each step in detail. And it's kind of worse. And you kind of wonder why I didn't tell them before their battle to the death. Or, I'm sorry, you you don't die in the tournament unless you're Emoto Platinum. Who, during this exposition, we learn, will die if they separate hands for too long. Just the gracelessness of them dropping you into shit in the first episode in a way that it's kind of impossible to enjoy what's going on because of how amazingly in the dark you are and then slamming the fucking brakes in the second episode and just deciding ugh we gotta rip this band-aid off and then just giving you everything and you know what you have at the end of that fucking explanation it's just the fucking same tournament that's in Fate Stay Night Shaman King Dragon Ball little Dragon Ball whatever just Hey, can you, if you punch win other enough people? fights? You can get a wish from God. If your footwork and jabs are good enough, then Jesus can pence you in for a 4 p.m. I guess I don't know. I guess the gods just want to meet prize fighters. Like fuck their priests and followers. They're just really the only people that have met God are Connor Mayweather, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson. I think George Foreman at one point, right? Oh yeah, George Foreman got managed to get like a noon power lunch of God. Floyd Mayweather has like one of those little punch cards that you get. You keep going back to the restaurant and get a free meal eventually. And he could have stopped a lot of wars by now, but instead he just keeps on asking for more Marvel movies. And honestly, I enjoyed those. So good on you, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, you know, like, I those famines will work themselves out. <laughs> so they go back to our protagonist's home with the doctor in tow, and he passes this girl off as a Brazilian exchange student and moves her into his house. So fun fact, Brazil has a huge Japanese expatriate population. It's a really cool story. If you want to like go to Wikipedia or whatever, there was this whole thing of economic incentives that didn't really work out. It was crazy. I'm pretty sure one of their presidents was of Japanese descent or was it? No, was it Chile? Hmm. I don't know. I can't remember. He went to jail, though. Here's the thing with me in the sequence, though. And normally, I wouldn't give too much of a shit because I've watched way too much Shonen Shoujo, whatever, and people sort of crash people's houses all the time. Mm -hmm. Fine. But it's canon in this thing. It's a character element that Emoto Platinum 
looks just like his dead sister. And his parents should have some thoughts about this. They don't, but they should. They should be flipping their shit. Maybe they're terrible parents. Maybe that's why their daughter is dead. Maybe they forgot. (laughs) Maybe they forgot. No, no, but then, like, no. But later on in the episode, they look at the picture, you know, of them as a happy family before, you know, Emoto 1 died. And they're, they're all like, oh, man, I'm so glad he's happy again. And they don't actually seem to look at their dead daughter in this picture and connect the dots and wait a minute she looks familiar for some reason i can't put my finger on it are they just cool with this like are little sisters in this world like credit cards you just sort of build up credit with one and apply for another one and make sure you cut you make sure you cut the other one to a few pieces before you throw it out is that how it works here i don't feel great comparing the female characters in this show to objects so blithely. So I really need to lay this out for you guys. It is this show that is making objects of these characters so blithely. I'm really just playing by its rules here. It's actually really kind of uncomfortable to watch him kind of cart this girl around like a handbag or an iPad. And, uh... I think his parents would have reacted more if he came home with an iPad... Be like, how can you afford that? Where did you find that thing? You stole that, didn't you? Can't well, you go no, find like on, a he's... magic little sister like everyone else to tour around? No, no, hold on, hold on. To be entirely fair, he's his character trait, if you remember, is fixing things. So, like, maybe if he came home with an iPad, they would assume that a classmate gave him that to fix. Fair enough. One point to the blue team. One, one point to the blues. Oh, I feel like it's a cop-out just saying what what even is there to say about this show's gender politics. But we'd be here all night. I forget the gender thing. She looks like his dead sister in a wig. <laughs> and they're his parents. We're still what there. The okay. Fuck? No, no. I'm going to be there for a while. It is blowing my goddamn mind. That's not like a first script read thing. That's like, oh, I just typed that out. Wait a minute. I forgot about the thing. So... After that, you have some domestic hijinks in the middle of this magic tournament. Domestic hijinks. They have to learn to bathe together. Fun fact, if you watch this on a train, which I did to prepare for this, old women will glare at you. Old men will glare at you. Children will shy away from you. You will be an outcast from civil society. I've already said my piece about gratuitous fan service in bad shows and even in otherwise good shows so i don't really have anything else to add here and for a second i kind of thought about defending myself saying it's okay i'm trying to make a zany podcast but i think that once you try to defend what looks like animated preteen blazers you've already sort of lost the battle and the thing about this bathing scene is that it really does go on for some time. It's about a four-minute-long scene, if I'm remembering. And this is, again, a 22-minute-long episode. Around, what, three combined minutes or so are opening and end credits. So, you do the math. It's quite a bit of this episode that they spend in this bath together. I get the impression that this is the show punishing me for saying, like, there's not much character development going on. And their version of character development is him struggling with the idea of how he can't leave this girl behind so they've got to be naked in the shower together 
This is a podcast, so you can't see me rolling my eyes right now, but I assure you, it actually kind of hurts they're so far back in my head. It occurs to me that pretty much any random two people could get through this problem in about two minutes, military shower style, just don't make it a thing, get the water through you. But he makes it this whole production. And I guess it was to relate to him having like a strong interiority. Like, oh, he's such a nervous dude. He's so gallant as he just visibly lusts over this undeveloped human being to his left. Oh god, there was this joke that I was so glad that it went the way it did and not the other way it could have gone. Where at some point towards the end of this bathing scene, uh, somehow there's blood now, right? There's just blood in the water. And it, it takes... A good five or six seconds before they reveal that he has had an anime nosebleed. Which, if you're unfamiliar with the concept, uh, a, a guy has a nosebleed in anime and it's basically shorthand for... He's got, like, a serious fucking boner right now. Um, but there is a point where I wasn't really sure where this blood came from. So I was just thinking they didn't. I thought that this <laughs> show was braver than I had ever given it credit for. <laughs> It almost got two points with me in 15 seconds. Just for the audacity that that would have required. In fact, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to believe. <laughs> I wanted to believe that this show's comedic streak was just willing to just go there. Like, just, just, like, just fuck it. Make Battle South Park. I'm kind of there for it. I was, I was relieved, but I really honestly could stand to live in the world where it was the other one the man has a point so after he's done with his amber alert they have to go to class holding hands all of their classmates surround them because i guess they don't have anything else interesting going on what do you think of this uh this rich comedy here is it another teen movie i think a lot of anime a disturbing amount of it becomes exponentially worse when you stop thinking of the main character as the main character and start thinking of them as you <laughs> it seems that a lot of studios just get this design dog that said we want them to be able to imprint themselves on the character which makes me ask a lot of questions about how they perceive the average member of the tv watching public Evidently, a lot of us are very deficient in personality, deficient in interesting traits, deficient in skills. Not so much skills in this case, since they triple underline the mechanical thing in this show. Oh I'll give God. them that. Yeah. He has the machine he thing. He has a skill. And so now he has gears, which in his infinite genius, he used to make a big bonkin stick <laughs> <laughs> that he caves man his, his enemies with. But he to does his credit, it does work pretty well. Like, the bonkin stick, I guess, was the way to go in this case. Yeah, I guess in a lot of combat, it just the simplest method does work. Maybe they know more than we do. Maybe we should kneel at the altar of handshakers and grow as creatives. No. Oh, okay. No, cancel that. I'm not doing that. Not even happening a little. So yeah, they think that she's his girlfriend. He's very quick to deny this, but you know, it's half-hearted and like, do do I really even need to? Really, you know what this scene is. You've seen it a million times. Before. All really? of this has happened before, and it will happen again. Sometimes when I see a scene that I've seen too many times before, I have this out-of-body experience, as I can almost 
feel every note in time where I have seen this scene. And more importantly, every note in time where I'll see this scene in the future. I call it the Billy Pilgrim effect. And when it happens, I can see myself, after my third or so divorce, just watching something on the hollow screen, rolling my eyes as this telepathic high school student brings in his not-sister and introduces him to the class. I can see myself in the ruins of a place once known as New York City, firing a pistol behind me as I look down on my fucking Fallout Pip-Boy. <laughs> and there are these raiders in their hovel. He introduces his new friend to the other raider children. They're like, ooh, she's his girlfriend! Before the government troops come in and cut them all down like so many crops of weed in a fucking field. <laughs> I see just the stretch of human history that I am a part of when this kind of scene happens. Extend before you. Yeah. So that shit happens. And then after they flee outside because, I don't know, they're like the Beatles are too famous to be inside that classroom. You mean you're too famous to be outside this classroom? You and your you're right. Emoto Platinum girlfriends are having this adventure with your gear powers. And you meet President Lily. I really expected her to have a stronger reaction to him having, like, a love slave, given her whole established romantic interest. Like, what did you think of that? If anyone, you know, had a negative reaction to you, then it would make you feel very (laughs) sad. (laughs) So it's good that she did not have a negative reaction to you now having a magical, immortal girlfriend. That's a great point, Sam. It might make your brain... (laughs) Give you the bad feeling juices instead of the good feeling juices. We wouldn't want that. That's the thing that we're trying to avoid here. This is a nice, positive brain juice story for you. After all, a good story would never make you feel bad or a sense of conflict or something. Of course not. So as she talks to you, she pulls out another tarot card because I guess this is going to be her thing on this show. To its credit... The jiggle is down 200%. I think they ran out of money. I feel like they they were spending a whole lot of money in the first episode. It's very, very clear that the first episode had possibly up to three times the budget (laughs) of this one. (laughs) Like, it might have even been four. And the the balloon titty effect, it's, it's been lessened just a little bit. Most corporate projects have an account person. Part of their big thing is like... Handling expenses and make sure they're spread evenly across projects. Mm-hmm. And normally in a show, you do spend a lot more on the first episode. But whoever was the account person sort of splitting the budgets really tightened the strings on the second episode. Because it is all wooden talking. There's so much talking in this episode. Oh my god. And I like dialogue. The dialogue here is just... There are plenty... Of dialogue-driven anime I've watched in the past, you know, five or six years that I've absolutely loved that would put up there, you know, like uh, Katana Guitari comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I really liked Recreators. That was an interesting one. Recreators was was a was a really solid show. It was the guy, the guy who did Black Lagoon did uh, Recreators. He was really he, was, he, uh, he wrote it. He did the character designs. He was not the main creative force behind it the way he was with Black Lagoon, but that was. Why I liked recreating, and, and if you know that, if you know like that it was him, then the whole show and it's basically just being a series of conversations, really bookended by violence, does make a whole lot of sense. It feels like it is from the same guy. Yeah, it works there, and 
I think what just happens there illustrates some of the problem the show has because I can't really focus on the words in the show for too long before I start talking about something else. I am not convinced that this show has characters in it. I think it has character designs in it, certainly. I do not believe that these are people. I don't even believe that these are imitations of people. One of them is you. The other one doesn't talk and is, for all intents and purposes, an object. Until that scene in that high school classroom where everyone's pointing at her, you could have perfectly passed her off as him having an imaginary friend for all the independent Oh, no, absolutely. And his parents are just being really accepting. You know, oh, he's still dealing with, you know, his first Emoto's death. The doctor's just doing a sort of psychotherapy thing. The doctor's doing a psychotherapy thing. Or, you know, fucking with him. You know, just fucking with him. Just oh, yeah, do you ever mess with an intern? With he's him. just fucking with him. He just, you know, just, just fucking with him a little bit. <laughs> so he gets his kicks. I was just like, oh, no, no, that, that's just Professor Stroke. He's just fucking with him. He just loves messing with these kids, you know? It's, oh, it, it, it sparks joy. It does. Um, and, and Professor Stroke, while I'm, while I'm on the subject... Is not so much a character as he is exposition and a couple of affectations, really. Professor Stroke is a collection of character tags that typically annoy me in better shows. These things annoy me in better shows, and he is all of them in this context. Like, he is the dangling keys, look how wha- much wackier than everyone else he is, and he also has a bunch of information for you. Yeah, the, de- the deck was kind of stacked against this guy. Professor Stroke never had a shot. <laughs> I think in the first episode, he introduced himself with, I don't want to call it a little dance, but a big dramatic flourish or whatever. And I would call it a shimmy. That was all you ever needed to know about this guy. Because, yeah, he delivers on everything that that big shimmy implied. Just, oh, okay, so you're going to be... You're going to be really loud. Uh, Occasionally, you're going to sing your lines, and most of all, you're just going to be talking a whole lot. So you had a point that the show doesn't so much have characters. It has character designs. Mm -hmm. I feel it's like it it goes sort of high concept that the characters doesn't really deliver. Just like, what if? So the next what if pair, we already had our what if it was a bondage couple kind of thing. We have a businesswoman. Only it's not a businesswoman because... Okay, she looks nine, so we're going to call it an anime 12. Mm, no, I think nine is anime 15. But her character doesn't scan 15. I think she's like, what? what it's like a little girl, right? And we're going to get she, to episode three. She's actually going to be 20. Kill me. But, she, <laughs> but her partner is this, like, I don't but, know. Her, butler, valet... Something like the, like the guy they're talking to about business at first thinks that she's the intern and he's the businessman, but it's the other way oh, around, gosh. kids. It's I don't really have of... a whole lot to say about these two yet. I don't want to jump the gun too much. Like nothing about them was particularly fascinating to me. I don't want to see more of them at all. I don't want to see less of them. I guess. But I, I do feel like I know what I'm in for, which is this show was missing a Sundari, and well, here she is. I will say, after seeing how the show spends its downtime, mm-hmm. I was happy to see another battle couple introduced. 
so that we can get to the fifth worst element of the show. <laughs> I think the action in Handshakers is bad and also better than its other elements. The yeah, action, like technically. The action gives me nothing. It doesn't hurt it me. It doesn't take away. No, yeah, it is a value of zero. You were kind of hoping for, you know, at least one, but no. It's like the little animation cuts in like a JRPG you play for the story or something. You know what's kind of sad about this is the fact that Handshakers is really, really trying to be a visually interesting show. And its action scenes, like I said, have a value of exactly zero. There is nothing engaging about them. It has failed... It has failed to deliver on the most important thing that it promised, which is big, fantastic, you know, kind of take you away visuals. And since it is an action series, you know, those visuals are going to be tied to the action set pieces. But uh, we get none of that. We get some really distractingly artificial looking chains and then a fight that is over as soon as it's begun with uh, not any sort of choreography, but... Uh, he stabbed him really big with the gear stick. Real hard. He, he, he went right for the jugular. It did kind of bug me that the show specifically underlined that that guy was unharmed and no one dies in these things. We should mention that. I think I, I don't think we've brought that up. Yeah, part of the exposition dump was that when you die in... Um, in the ziggurat. Oh, the ziggurat. The ziggurat is the uh, is the vague term that they have for uh, anything that goes on in iFuck world. Um, <laughs> uh, when you die in uh, in iFuck ziggurat world, uh, you don't actually die. It hurts, but you can't do things in it anymore. Dying just unhandshakes you, and then you're just two people who have then, some relationship issues to work two out. I guess. Now. Um, and, and, and that's just kind of the end of it. And you're ejected from this, uh, tournament, I guess. However, I his little sister is kept alive by I fuck world energy. They must always be linked and ready for an I fuck battle. I need to nitpick here for a second. Do it. Do There's it. There's a scene between when they're talking with Professor Stroke for 10 fucking minutes and he's talking for all of it, delivering his exposition. And then they show up at his house where she's now a fake... Uh, exchange student um they have a costume change right in between these two scenes and i don't know if you've ever held hands with someone and tried to change clothes i'm not trying to be nitpicky i really but it's just i was i was just taken right out of it you can't do it it's physically impossible <laughs> The sleeves alone. You can't fucking change your clothes while yeah. physically attached to another human being. I guess there's a is there a certain amount of time that they can be separated? Like, one of his hands is in the water when he's bathing her. Oh my god. Whatever. One of his hands is in the water while he's bathing her. And while any manner of disgusting things could have been happening there, I don't think that their hands could have been linked... No, their so, hands are explicitly not linked. Like if you, so then yeah, I if was, he's that was her, what I was looking for. Any, to... Is it any physical contact? Does it have to be the hands? I feel like I'm trying to do a undergraduate close reading of a porno right now. Like I am like peering between the lines of Debbie Does Dallas, trying to reconstruct meaning. <laughs> no, no, I'm just thinking about a graduate thesis. Like, we're, we're, let's look at the through line from Debbie Does Dallas to Swap.avi. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I feel like the most fucked up part is I could totally see that actually existing. I don't think there's much to actually say about this little bit of, I don't even know. Uh, continuity, we'll call it. Continuity, or how the fuck did they, how the fuck did they manage that? I mean, I guess the only explanation is that they can part hands for like a little bit. Like long enough, and then she starts panting suggestively, I bet. Like, I bet. Even that seems like too much emote for, like, Ray clone number 47. She... Oh, man, and is she ever? She is there to not react to things, and they must save so much money on animating that face. Like, they don't even splurge on the blinking. She just is eyes wide open, catching insects on them. Every now and again, she will make a little noise. Uh, but so far, she's talked even less than Trish has. My ongoing theory is that that's actually her exhaling and inhaling every few scenes at every other moment. <laughs> she's holding her breath. She's holding her breath. Well, maybe she's, if we're playing by the rules of the show, she is just, you know, an inanimate object. Maybe she doesn't need that much air. That's a good point. Maybe it's for show. She just, like, sometimes remembers that she has to do it to keep appearances up. Like, what if she's a vampire with some really, 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 really specific vampire weakness? And, you know, she doesn't actually breathe. So every now and again, she has to pretend like she does. Oh, man, she's just slowly draining the life from the sap. I mean, his hair turns white when they go into the ziggurats. So, yeah, that was Handshakers Episode 2. Would you place it in the same circle of Weeb Hell or a different one? So I'm I'm gonna agree with your first assessment of uh, of episode one. This is uh, this is right there with sloth. There was so little going on in this episode. Sure, there was exposition, there was fan service, but really, when it got right down to it, nothing fucking happened. A vast field of nothing. I'm going to place it on the fourth layer, which, as you said earlier, combines avarice and prodigality. Because this show blows time on nothing. On vast fields of it. It is prodigal with its fucking time. Think about that four minute bathing sequence. Think about that ten minutes of exposition. Think about the number of things you could have done with a whacked out premise and animation studio in that amount of time. Given that you only have 19 real minutes of content. Ten minutes plus four. So, so the, yeah, no, like, really, the vast majority of that episode was spent on talking and... Oh man, this. She's not 18. She's not 18. And. Lean in world. I'm gonna say it. This made me appreciate Fate Stay Night more. Cause this wants to be it. And it does it worse. And in Fate Stay Night, things happen. Stupid things I dislike. They definitely do happen. But they happen. And like, oh man, are you gonna hear about how they happen? (laughs) While they are happening, after they have happened. Sometimes before they Often happen. before they have happened. So, today, we have done Handshakers, Episode 2, Owari no Seraph, Episode 1. This has been Weeaboo Hell. It is Weeaboo Hell. I'm Denard, quotes Blind Monkey, Dale. I'm Sam, quote Mute Monkey, Lego. And thank you for listening. You can find more of this at SeemoreEvil.com. Or if you're like the average lazy podcast consumer, just, I don't know, fucking iTunes, Spotify, whatever. You, you have Google. Weeaboo hell. Peace.
You are very good at turning me on. Peak Simpsons will be part of our DNA forever. Remember to force your children to watch it. It's like the memories of Ralph. Yeah, are we are we in like the Byzantium of the Simpsons? I think it would be accurate to call it that, yeah. The Yeah, the Holy Remember. Yeah, yeah, like like fucking Like even Justinian was centuries ago. Yeah. We lost the Battle of Man's Accursed. It's in recent memory. Oh, Oh, man, that's great.